Hi, everybody. Welcome to Kindred Skulls. My name is Matt Fries. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Olson. Nick, how are we doing today? Doing great, man. T-minus two weeks till the draft. Uh, so we're getting really, really close here. Um, and we've got a great mailbag episode. People sent in a lot of great questions. So uh, we're going to dive into more quarterbacks, going to dive into the wide receiver depth, the edge depth, the uh all sorts of positions who can who can play defensive tackle five tech on our on our roster dive into the scheme dive into remaining free agency the cap situation basically uh a lot of good questions that cover pretty much all the interesting topics of conversation right now for the vikings so i'm actually pretty excited to dive into this this is like a really exciting time of year i think because you know like hope springs eternal with the draft you're gonna get a big influx of talent and the draft is also just like a really exciting time of year for i, I think like fan viewing generally so i'm pumped to get into this stuff yeah, yeah. Awesome set of questions that we have here. Uh, pumped to get into all of it. And like you said, it's not just draft stuff. We've got some still team building stuff and that sort of thing, like how the Vikings roster plays out. And I, I think it's really nice. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, we get to all of your questions. And if you guys have any, you know, further questions, we can follow up too uh, later on Twitter or YouTube or wherever you want to comment about it. Uh, so why don't we dive right in and just the way we're going to structure this, we got some questions about specific players that we're going to have first, and then there are more general draft questions or non-specific draft questions. And then we have, you know, the, the Vikings questions outside of the draft related stuff. So if you're, if you're not interested in the draft, which, um, I don't know why you're listening to a football podcast in April, if you're not, if you're not interested in the draft, but you know, maybe you want to skip ahead. Don't do that. Uh, so, so the first question we have is from Stizo, Stizo nine at Stizo nine 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 on Twitter, and he said in a couple questions. So the first one is, how does Kyler Gordon and Roger McCreary compare to the five cornerbacks we broke down last week? Uh, those five corners we broke down last week. Go back and listen to the episode if you haven't already. Derek Stingley, uh, Sauce Gardner, Andrew Booth Jr., Trent McDuffie, Kyir Elam. Um, and he asks, are Gordon McCreary clearly a tier below? Also, he wants to know about two LSU players, uh, Damon Clark and Cordell Flott. Uh, Cordell Flott's a slot corner from LSU. Damon Clark's a linebacker who apparently has a pretty serious spinal injury that will cause him to miss the 2023 season. Um, so why don't we start with Gordon McCreary? Nick, what are your opinions on those two? Yeah, so Kyler Gordon's an interesting tape study. Um you know, a teammate opposite of um, uh, Trent McDuffie in Washington. Um, but um, so like with, with McDuffie, um, wish I got more Washington yeah. to watch. Um, so only like a game and a half here. Um, and it's a funky scheme they run where it's, it's just so much press bail. So you can't necessarily evaluate them the same way. Um, some defenses run everything like Andrew Booth was such an easy tape study. Cause like, Oh, there's his back pedal. Oh, there's his side shuffle. Oh, there he is from off coverage. There he is. Cover two, cover three, cover four, cover one, uh, press, whatever. Um, you don't necessarily check the boxes as easily, but I will say easy to see the athleticism. That's really appealing mm-hmm. there. Uh, he's, he's fast. Um, he's got great feet in press. He does a great job mirroring out of press. Um, he's got very fluid feet. Um, he's, uh, the speed and the motor shows he'll chase down guys from behind on like, if there's like there, like I remember seeing an explosive run and chase the guy down from behind, um, from the opposite side of the field. Um, so, you know, high motor player, um, like the athletic traits, see that upside there. 
Um, I don't see necessarily, you know, while we're talking size athleticism, I don't, I don't think he necessarily checks the box with flying colors on the flu on the hip fluidity. I think the feet are there, but the hips, I saw some tightness, at least, you know, his zone turn, he seemed to lose a little bit. I mean, zone turn is, is necessarily going to be a slower turn. Um, but I, I thought there was a little bit of hip tightness, tightness there. Um, I don't think he would be a year one starter as a rookie. I think he's a little too far away. Um, main problem I saw with him is he's just a little too easy to shake out of his shoes uh, at the tops of routes or at you know with with fun, with fancier releases. He just takes the cheese a little bit too easily. Um, whether it's a rocker step or somebody hits him with a jab step at the top of their break or something, um, very easy to get him to open the gate um, the wrong way. Um, so I, I, that c- concerns me a little bit. But I obviously see why you know some teams think of him as like a it, second rounder. Even I've, I've even heard I, I think um, Dane Brugler mentioned. I listened to the Athletic podcast today, and he said you know the, there are guys who have a first round grade on Kyler Gordon, which that's pretty rich for me, especially for somebody who I don't see contributing early um, in his NFL career. I just think he's He's got a ways to go, but you know he checks the boxes for athleticism. He's got decent size. Um, he's he's got you know good press technique. Um, there's not a, he doesn't have to go. I guess a super far away to get to the point where he's a starter. And he's got um, the athletic traits you look for for to be a high upside kind of guy. So um, I just think there's a little bit too much guesswork going on. Um, he doesn't seem as natural um, as um, some of the other top guys. So I would um, I wouldn't want him earlier than where the Vikings pick at 48. I think at 48, that would be a fine pick. Um, but it's tough for me to spend a first rounder on a guy who um, I don't see contributing as a rookie. Uh, Matt, I don't know if you have, if you have more thoughts there. Yeah. So, so I think he's a step below um, the guys we watched last week. I, I would agree with you there. Uh, there was one play I noted where I thought his hips recovered very well. And it actually kind of was an example of what you were talking about there, where he opened the gate a little bit too early to, to play against an inside route and the receiver broke outside. And I thought his quickness to recover on that play was, was honestly pretty impressive. Like you are correct. The athletic ability shows up on tape uh, and, and that matters quite a bit. So I would say he's outside of the range of those top guys. Like you were talking about, um, like you said, it's a lot of press bail. I thought his zone spacing wasn't all that great. Like he kind of let guys have space in zone coverage. And I didn't love it all that much. Um, in that instance, I did like his, uh, motor in the run game and his aggressiveness in the run game. I thought there were a couple of bad angles that he took, like notably bad angles or like he is constantly kind of trying to shoelace tackle guys when he's attacking in the run game. And I, I didn't love that from him just based on the angles. Um, but like you said, I, I think the physical traits are there and I think that puts him, closer to the top tier of corners than I would have Roger McCreary. Like, I think that there's a little bit of a gap down to Roger McCreary after Kyler Gordon. Like, I I think there's a gap between Gordon and the guys we talked about last week. So maybe he's like a tier three guy for me, right? I had the Stingley booth and sauce in tier one. I had McDuffie and Elam kind of in that tier two. Maybe there's a bit of separation between McDuffie and Elam, but I thought that they were kind of a similar level. And I I'd put Gordon a little bit below that level. Um, if I transition in over to Roger McCurry, like, I, I don't know, going through and watching these corners, it's, it's striking how much information you get from a single game on some guys and how little you get from a single game on other guys. Right. And, and that's really based on the defense and the techniques that they're playing. 
Um, so I watched McCreary against Alabama, right? That's like the premier tape that you want to watch at any guy go against. And he's playing press man coverage and he's playing man coverage against John Mechie and Jamison Williams, two receivers in this draft, right? And he's following guys around the formation. I think that's a positive. Um, I think his frame is noticeably small on tape, right? He's got the really short arms. We kind of talked about that last week. He's 5'11". Um, he is pretty big for 5'11". Like, he's not skinny. He's not a skinny 5'11". I think he weighed in at 190. But I don't think the athletic ability in terms of the long speed is great. Like, it's acceptable. I think it can play at the NFL level, but it's not good. And there are definitely instances where he gets caught a couple times. Um, I think he's got, I think he's got good burst. I will say, I think he's got good burst in terms of driving on the ball and keeping up with players for those initial steps, but he loses them after a period of time. Um, his ball skills. I thought when he can see the ball and it's in front of him, he does a good job getting his arm in there, but he also plays coverage pretty tight. And like, there were three or four instances where I thought they could have fallen past interference and like, Part of it's the Alabama receivers are like freaking out and asking for a flag in those instances. They didn't throw the flag, but they call the NFL game a lot stricter than they call the college game. So that's a concern for me. And I think his short arms don't help him in that scenario. Um, so he's a physical player. Uh, I, I thought he struggled to find the ball with his back turn. I mentioned when he's in front of it, he can get his arm there with his back turn. I didn't think he had great ball skills. I think he's kind of like Cameron Dantzler in that respect where Dantzler doesn't have great ball skills when his back's turned either um like i said not a ton of the zone experience so that's kind of a question um and then another negative i had with press coverage is he declares his hips really early like we talk about guys being we talked about guys like andrew booth being really patient in terms of declaring their hips and when they move their hips he declares them really early it's noticeably early compared to the other guys in this class i think yeah, I thought he's a very interesting study because he's got very clear limitations. But mm-hmm. also, I thought that was a great game. Like he went up against yeah. the toughest competition, and he like he had a really good game against Bama. Um, so, um, but you do see you, you, the things that make people label him as low ceiling. Um, you know his his long speed is not going to be. Um, you know, a, a, he's he's an NFL caliber athlete, but he's not a good athlete. Uh, he, you know, he'll um, he he doesn't have much room error room error margin for error when it comes to fade routes. Um, I saw guys get away from him on mesh. I saw guys get away from him on vertical routes. Um, and he also, I think, clearly doesn't have great explosion when like he makes up for it. I think with good instincts, but I'd worry about him. Um, in a more zone coverage system, because I just don't think he's going to be able to cover a lot of space necessarily uh, the way that, you know, an elite athlete would. So um, that worries me. And then you add on top of that, the the very, very limited length, like you came in at the camp combine at under 29 inch arms, which is like the zero width percentile for, um, for arm length, which um, obviously, you know, going back to our conversation with Trent McDuffie, that's, that's a problem and you can't fix that. Um, that's always going to be a problem for him. Um, I will say though, I, he looks like small on 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 tape, but he's five eleven. That helps a little bit, and also like for as short as his arms are, his ball production or at least pass breakups yeah. in college was outstanding. Like one of the best in the class. Uh, I think he racked up thirty pass deflections, thirty eight pass deflections, 
over his college career. That's insane. He had four, I counted, in the Alabama game. Four yeah. pass breaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ab- absolutely. Um, not bad for a guy with 28-inch arms. So if, and, you know, those the, the Bama receivers he was going up against were NFL, future NFL receivers. So, um, yeah, it, you worry a little bit about, like, um, you know, is this an NFL-caliber cornerback rec- with 28-inch arms and, you know, four five forty and and limited explosion, but like I don't know, he went up against Bama receivers and, and seemed to play. It's kind of like Cameron Dancer. Like Cameron Dancer is like so skinny and doesn't play doesn't play fast at all. You you look at him, and you're like, is this an NFL receiver? But then you look at his tape versus Bama, and he's like, okay, I could, I it, you know, it's passes the sniff test there. So I don't know. I actually really liked his tape. Um, I see the limitations, but I do think um, the other thing I'll say with him is he 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 has. Clear versatility. They play him inside, outside. He'd shadow guys um, into the slot, um, and he was able to handle two-way goes, I thought. Um, I will say, like, despite all his other um, athletic limitations, I actually thought he had very fluid hips. Um, even on, like, zone turns, I didn't think yeah. he lost a lot of speed, So, um, which is, that's a rare talent. So, you know, you, that doesn't necessarily show up in combine testing, but it's an important skill, especially if you're going to be a nickel corner. So I think he offers inside, outside uh, versatility. I um, you probably will disagree with me based on our Trent McDuffie discussions, but I do think you could try him out at outside and see how he handles it. Um, if he's, you know, if, if he's able to handle, you know, Jameson Williams outside or John Mechie outside, I think he can probably, um, you could try and see how, how he handles it outside in the NFL. Um, he's very, um, he seems NFL ready. He, he has a good understanding of route patterns, route recognitions, um, he is able to stay in really well in phase. Um, and he has, he uses his physicality really, really well. I thought, um, especially like from the slot he had, he like, um, guys were falling to the ground because he was just like muscling them in, in the stems of their routes. So, um, I, I think he has clear limitations and I understand why, um, you know, people uh, have mixed appealing, mixed feelings on him, but I feel like he would be a day one starter for the Vikings at nickel. Um, and I feel like he has potential to play outside in a pinch as well. So, um, you know, if I'm doing my own rankings, I would probably put, for the Vikings, I would probably put McCreary and the Kyrie Lam, um, um band. Um, and I would probably put McCreary first just because I feel like he has more potential to contribute. Um, and I would probably put Kyler Gordon um, a little bit later where, um, I wouldn't hate him in the second, but I also think he's just a little bit away from contributing. And, I'm, and anytime you're far away from contributing, you also worry a little bit about the risk and the bus factor. And will they ever reach their potential? Or are they just going to be um, somebody who kind of looked like it, but um, didn't ever end up being it? So uh, it's a little I, I like getting guys who can contribute right away, because at the very least, you know, you know, you're going to hopefully get that. So um, I don't know. Uh, I could, but but it's going to vary a lot for the scheme. Like if I were evaluating for the Seahawks, these rankings would be completely different. So, um, yeah, I, I I found McCreary's tape. You know, you see the limitations, but also it was surprisingly really good. So I don't know. I kind of like McCreary a lot. So so that's actually really interesting to me because um, you know, and and I'll get into my rankings here. So uh, one thing I want to address is like the arm length thing. I think I am a little bit more willing to give McCreary a shout out there because of you know what you see on tape against an Alabama right whereas we don't have that and I I'd like to get more tape of Trent McDuffie right playing on the outside and playing in those situations and maybe through that I kind of gain an appreciation for what he can do but I don't 
have that available to me, unfortunately. Right. So it's, it's a kind of a difficult conversation there. Uh, the other thing I want to say there is like, I like Trent McDuffie a lot and the arm length gives me pause specifically high in the first round at 12, where you're expecting an immediate impact. And basically you need to get a starting, a quality starter out of that. Like I want a quality starter with pro bowl upside out of that. And I think the arm length limitations give me those questions. Um, one thing I will say with McCrary is the, one of the things I wrote down with him is he's like Cam Dantzler that got like left in the dryer a little bit too long. Right. So he's like a shrunk down version of him, but he's still the same weight. Right. So Dantzler, Dantzler is like really, really skinny. Um, but with McCrary, I think that, you know, his, his size has an impact. Um, one thing I will say is I probably knocked him more than you did on the, the pass interference things, right? I thought a couple of his breakoffs were borderline pass interference. Um, and that's kind of that, you know, and that can play, but I'm a little bit concerned about that translating to the NFL because they call the game yeah. a lot, lot looser in college. And he also, that was, you know, that's in his scouting room. Like he got flagged yeah. for, I think, seven pass interference calls over the last two years. He yeah. got better at it last year, but it's still something. Uh, he he plays a physical style of press man coverage, so yep. um, that's probably where he's going to be best in the NFL too. But it's also where those issues are going to come up. Yeah. So. so so to me, for the rankings, I would have him lower than Gordon. I'd be comfortable taking Gordon at forty eight. Um, I think his fluidity and I think his athleticism is kind of what shines above for me. For McCreary, for me, I I don't understand if Cameron Dantzler is a late third round pick right? Which is what Cameron Dantzler was. I wouldn't rank him, rank him above Cameron Dantzler coming out. So I have him kind of in that third, like I'm fine with taking him in third round. I think Cameron Dantzler was a value based on his college profile. Now, obviously he had the like really, really slow 40 at the combine and then like the fake four, three at his pro day or whatever, if you remember that. And you know, he had the, the profile concerns, but like, I think he's, I think McCreary's more of a third round player to me. Um, so, you know, and, and going back, that's like, so the first, my top three guys I'd take, you know, at 12, I'd trade back in the first and take Elam or McDuffie and I'd take Gordon at 48. And I think I'd wait on McCreary a little bit personally. So we see him a little bit differently there, but you know, I, I don't, I, I think it's just a couple interpretations of how we're seeing things on film. I don't think, you know, our evaluations of the guys are totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so why don't we jump on to the two LSU players? I don't know how much you got a chance to watch. Um we'll we'll keep with the corner first, Cordell Flott. Talking about Cameron Dantzler, he looks like Cameron Dantzler. He is so skinny. He's got short arms, um, and he is so so skinny. So he's six oh oh two, that's six foot and one quarter inches, uh, and one seventy at the combine or at his pro day, I believe. Absolutely tiny, uh, just over 30 inch arms as well. He's playing slot for LSU. Uh, I didn't love him. I thought like the, the most positive I have to say about him is he's really aggressive in the run game. Um, and he plays, you know, he is active in the run game. I think he, he attacks blocks. He doesn't have the size where that's all that effective. Um, but he attacks things in the run game. And I, I think that's a positive for him. I think he tackles pretty well too. Um, and I watched the UCLA a game from this year. Uh, UCLA has a, has a really diverse running game. So it's kind of interesting to watch the guys defend against that in the past game. I think he has 
somewhat of a man coverage profile. Like I think he's somebody who can develop into a good player. Uh, one of the notes actually that Stizo had is that he's really young. Okay. And I looked this up. He's actually the second youngest player in this draft class. The only player who's younger than him going into this draft is Nick Cross. I don't really understand why he came out because I think he needs to develop his game and I think he needs physical development. Um, now, obviously, guys have a lot of reasons for entering the draft, so I don't want to, you know, trash him for doing that, but I do think he's a late round pick at best. And I, I don't think he really has the zone skills or the man skills at this point to be a contributor at the NFL level. Um, and, you know, with the youth, that's certainly something he can develop into and, you know, somebody worth keeping around and trying to see what you can develop. But I, I don't know if he's, you know, I, I don't love him. He's fine as a late round option to me. Yeah. He's interesting as a late round option, just because I feel like um, he's an NFL caliber nickel and he might, he has he has a ways to go, but he might eventually have the profile of an outside cornerback. But man, uh, uh, number one question I have for him is like, why couldn't you put on more weight in your three years at yep. LSU? Like, and granted, he's really young, so you know sometimes it takes guys more time. But like, 170 pounds, like, can he sustain more weight, or is it just he didn't have enough time? Um, LSU is a pretty you know blue blood program. Like, I. I you know, NFL, obviously, you know, you're going, your dietitians are going to be a little more, you know, there's more resources there, but like, um, you would expect him to be a little bit bigger. So and and I, maybe he's just a skinny guy who can't put on the weight. And that gives you questions about durability. Um, he is a good, but not, you know, incredible athlete. Um, I mean, he put up actually pretty good agility and, and jump scores, but like a four, five forty at, if these are, t- if these are his scores, he's putting up at one seventy. when he gets up to one ninety, where he's supposed to be, if he wants to be like an outside cornerback, um, or even even more if he's you know he's got a frame six feet he he feels like he could fill out even more than that um, you know, you're probably not going to be running a four five after you put on twenty pounds so um, that that gives me a lot of questions at the same time like you see some NFL caliber movement skills he doesn't look um, like I don't think he would look necessarily it, it other than being a twig I think he wouldn't necessarily look out of place on the NFL field so. Um, yeah, as a late round flyer, you know, if if uh, if Coach um, Durante Jones can like sign off on his character and says like, no, we can, this guy can can develop into somebody who can has a chance to be a starter down the road. Like, yeah, sure, totally take that guy in like the sixth or seventh rounds or something. Um, I'm fine with that. I probably wouldn't take him that much earlier just because like <laughs> a 170 pound guy yeah. is, is not going to is not going. You, you can't play that at the NFL. So, um, or <laughs> or at least you're asking for problems if you do. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. He's kind of interesting, and I, I, I'm I'd, I'd be interested to see you know what the due diligence turns up there. But um, yeah, interesting late round option, um, but wouldn't wouldn't love it earlier. Yeah, I, I think he's a guy who you know it would be kind of interesting to track his development, even if he's not on the Vikings. Like how he progresses because of his age. I think there's a lot of potential there, but it's it's just not there at this point. Um, flipping over to Damone Clark, did you get a chance to watch him at all? Yeah, he was interesting. Um, clearly an NFL athlete. Um, very, very um, long. The size stands out. He's um, he's, he's rocked got, up for a linebacker. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and they, they played him a little bit on the edge. I don't think that's his game. Mm-hmm. I, think he's an, yeah, I think he's an off-ball linebacker and not like a, even a 3-4 edge. But, like, he's got traits to, to, to line up there and do some take some snaps there. So maybe even like a 4-3 Sam or something. So, um 
He's got a really quick trigger downhill, I think, a little bit too quick. He gets sucked up a lot by play action, like like a lot. Oh, yeah. Like even, yep. even on, like, like jet motion where it's like he takes the cheese when, like, they're not even really offering the cheese. So um, you got to waste it. He's also a little too upright in his stance, and, and I'm not sure if that's stiffness or, or what, but um, I, the, maybe this is knocking him a little bit too much because he looks like um, an NFL. You, you look at him, and like, this guy belongs on – an NFL field. So like the length, the size, the athleticism, um, uh, stand out. I also, but and, and a, a positive I would say is I thought he had good gap discipline in the run game. I yes. thought he, he shot his, his, he, he handled his gap. Well, he sifted through the, the traffic really well. Um, but, and, and he's, uh, he would be a good blitzer, especially as an off ball linebacker, just because of the, the explosion, um, and you know the the length and the frame and everything else there gives you something to work with and something to mold down the down the road. Um, so I, I kind of I watched him. I saw somebody who like maybe this is a late third round or early fourth rounder, clearly developmental, but like high upside NFL traits um, in coverage. I would say like find he gains depth really well and he can cover guys to the flat really well. Um, but he's just very reactive um, in coverage and like late to react to what's going on. Um, you know, like leak leaks get past him, guys double cross him, and he'll he doesn't follow it very well. So not somebody who I'd want you know manning up against tight ends or anything. Even though um, he has the traits that that make you wanna wanna like test out his man coverage skills, I don't think he's there. So just a, a raw developmental guy with with high traits. Um, but then you add on top of that that um, that back injury, he's going to miss the entire year. On top of you know, does he? have an NFL career after that or what what does his road to recovery look like and what are the probabilities that he gets back to there so um it helps to have you know his former coach his former defensive coordinator on the team to give you a little bit of insider information there so if you feel like yeah he'll get back to where he was maybe you get a steal for him later on because this is a guy who you know maybe would be a late third rounder as as a guy with upside to be you know like pro bowl upside given his traits but has a long long way to go now, now you add a red shirt injury recovery season on top of it i don't know it's kind of an interesting guy um that's the kind of guy i like taking a gamble yep. on in the later rounds it's like trick guys with traits guys with the potential to not just be a special teamer but a guy to be a difference making starter um and i think clark you know he's got a, he's got a long ways to go both in terms of his health and in terms of his uh, just developing nfl caliber instincts which he doesn't have right now um, so, but like a chance to, to be a, like a very good, you know, five tool linebacker in the NFL, that's intriguing. So, um, yeah, really interesting player. Um, but I, I don't know if you had other thoughts from watching his tape. Yeah. So, uh, just to, just to clarify the injury he had was found at the combine. It was a herniated disc in his back. So he had spinal fusion surgery, I believe. Um, so that, that's, what's going to cost him the entire year, obviously back issues, nerve issues, not not great. So you don't know what, what's going to happen for him coming back. Um, it, it does sound like he was in that second, third round range. Uh, Baron Browning from last year from Ohio state is maybe a good example of a guy who's similar to that, where he's got that six, three size, 240 pounds, long arms, 33 inch arms, right? Just a physical NFL build a little bit raw in coverage, like you're saying. Um, but I, I totally agree with you on the keys. I thought he was reading, pulling players really well, finding that really well, sifting through traffic really well in run defense. I think that's a real positive. Um, he's got sideline to sideline speed. He's got the athleticism to do all that. His athletic testing was great at the combine. He tested out the combine with whatever back issue he had. And he did, and he had 
fantastic testing, right? So hopefully he hasn't lost, he doesn't lose that athleticism post-surgery. Um, but like you said, bites really hard on play action, raw in coverage. I, I think you covered it pretty well in general. I had pretty much the same notes. So uh, good job. <laughs> no. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Seriously. So those are those four guys. We kind of got you a deep dive on them. Uh, you know, and here we go. We'll, we'll, those are two targets. If we miss, if, you know, something crazy happens in the first round or Kyle Hamilton falls, or they take an edge rusher, or they go wide receiver in the first round. I I think Gordon and McCreary are two guys who are going to be, um, you know, at that point, I think they're going to want to take a cornerback in the second round. So two guys to look at, and then the Durante Jones connection with the two other LSU guys, um, we're, we're digging into these guys and seeing where they might fit. Yeah. So uh, our next question here is from James Kunow at James1297. Um, and it's about a guy who's kind of sliding in the draft. If Kyle Hamilton were to be drafted due to a slide, what would your prediction for how Bynum gets reps on the field be? Um, does he stay as a backup, switch to corner, three safety sets? Uh, you know, so it's about Kyle Hamilton as a sliding player in the draft who we've seen. And then also about what we might do with Cam Bynum uh, there. Uh, so thoughts on that, Nick? Yeah, I I would just have Bynum as a backup. I'm not, I like Bynum. I, I have no qualms running into the season with Bynum as my starter, but I thought he was impressive last year. Uh, but at the same time, like, it's not a bad thing to have decent depth. Um, we were lucky that the depth at safety was not tested very much last year because Xavier Woods was the only safety in the NFL to not miss a snap. And Harrison Smith, I think, only missed time because of COVID. So maybe he missed, like, a couple games, but that was kind of it. So that was, um, despite all the other injuries on the defense, the safety depth was not really tested. Um, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world to have Cam Bynum at safety. The other thing is, um, you know, the, the, the entire reason he fell so far in the draft was because as a cornerback, um, it was really questionable if he had like man man coverage skills, and I'm not really sure he does. And I, I think that's kind of why he fits better at safety. Um, so I, you could try it out, and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to to throw him out there in a pinch. But I think it's better just to have him focus on the one safety position. Um, and yeah, I, I think Kyle Hamilton falling at 12, I would I would I would run that one, one in it. So I would be you know, <laughs> I like I like buying him as a prospect, but like yeah, like that would be pretty exciting if Hamilton fell. Yeah, for me, no offense to Cam Bynum, but if Kyle Hamilton falls to 12 and the Vikings draft him. I don't really care what happens to Cam Bynum on the defense because I, I really like Kyle Hamilton as a prospect. I think the speed thing is overblown. I think he's got instincts for days. I don't think you need to run a four, four to be an effective safety, especially in the too high safety system that the Vikings have with Kyle Hamilton's instincts. I think it would be fantastic to pair him with another Notre Dame safety in Harrison Smith. And, you know, he kind of profiles as a Harrison Smith type honestly as like who you want to see from him as his peak what his peak will be obviously he's like ridiculous he's a he's huge right he's six four he's super long um for cam bynum i think in that case he sees the field potentially as a backup the the three there are like quote-unquote true three safety sets in college in the nfl they don't really have those where you have three guys deep um just because of, of the spread game in college uh, for for Bynum, I know he did play a few slot snaps last year. You may see him in that capacity again this year if we can't figure it out, if we're trying to mix and match those guys in the slot, because we don't really have a great corner room at this point, right? So 
it, it could be a way he gets on the field there. And I thought he did okay in the slot. You know, maybe in a dime package or something, he gets on the field as kind of a, the second slot player, the second apex player. So, you know, we, we might be able to get something out of him still with Kyle Hamilton, but if Kyle Hamilton's at 12, and I've seen him slide in mocks recently to 12, um, I would love if we picked him. And, um, you know, it's actually kind of an interesting question. I don't think I'd take him over the three corners that I like, but if, or, well, I know Booth's not going to go at 12. I don't think Booth's going to go at 12. Like, that's just a draft prediction right there. I think I'd take Stingley. Zierlein actually said today, like on the yeah. athletic podcast that they both saw him falling out of the first. I don't know if you heard that. Yeah. I, w- I listened to it as well. Yeah. They both had him falling out of the first and he had core muscle surgery as an injury. And that's why he, I think he's falling down boards. So if we can get Andrew Booth at 48, if we get Kyle Hamilton in the first and come back with Andrew Booth at 48, I'm going to be doing jumping jacks on draft day. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let, let's get on to the next one. Um, Another prospect, Ed Donatello at Skull or whatever. I just want people to talk about Kevin Austin Jr. from Notre Dame. So here we are. We're going to talk about Kevin Austin Jr. Yeah, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Kevin Austin Jr. I know he's like an interesting character because of the red flags, but also the size, weight, speed. So I don't know. What are your thoughts? Shameful, Nick. Shameful. You were asked to talk about him, and here we are. No. Uh, so Kevin Austin Jr., my my exposure to him, and I went back and watched this, is a Cincinnati game uh, against Sauce Gardner and against, you know, Kobe Bryant, other Cincinnati players. Um, he does not play to his athletic testing on tape. Like, very obviously is a raw player. And fortunately for him, I think there are good reasons for that. Um, well, he was suspended earlier in his career, and he also dealt through injuries. So the suspension, maybe not a good reason, but there are at least reasons why he's a very raw player, right? He's not technically refined. I don't think he plays particularly fast. I don't think he plays up to that speed, even running overs and that sort of thing. Like, I didn't quite see that long speed. Uh, now, Sauce is fast, too, and he's really good at this. We talked about this, but he kept up with him very well throughout the game when he was on him. Um, he's not really too refined getting in and out of breaks. But again, he has room for growth, and he was an incredible, incredible tester. Um, so he is a late day three prospect. Uh, I have some other day three prospects, a little bit of foreshadowing that we're going to talk about a wide receiver that I like more than Kevin Austin Jr. But, you know, if you're going to swing for offenses on a guy, he's not a bad one to swing for the fences on because he's not all that old either, I believe. Um, well, let me just double check. He just turned 22. So he is, especially on late round receivers, on the younger end. Um, So I think that's definitely a positive for him as well. So let's jump on to the next question we have here. Um, And it'll be, is uh, from KSG, at KSG underscore Skull, is drafting Matareza in the fourth round better than drafting a developmental offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman? Uh. With Areza, Ariza specifically, um, I would rather have the interior offensive lineman, especially in the fourth round. Like, I, I don't like drafting specialists in general. Um, it tends to not work out. And um, guys who succeed in the NFL usually do it because they, they stick around. And um, it's not a position you generally want to invest a lot in, you know, you know, generally. If you have Justin Tucker, sure, lock him up long term, but don't like spend millions, you know, tens of millions of dollars on the position. Don't spend significant draft capital um, with Manorizer specifically. Um, yes, he has like uh, a godlike um, 
or leg or whatever. Like he's got incredible punting um, <laughs> traits. He's like high upside as a punter, but not a lot of control. Not a lot of. I mean, he can get hang time, but um, doesn't spin the ball well. He gets way too many touchbacks. Um, so he's the sort of you know he's a toolsy punt punting prospect. Um, but you know I would not gamble on a toolsy punting prospect in the early day three. So. Um, you know, like if it's like the seventh round and your choice is a guy who's like, you know, might not make the roster versus Ariza, like, sure, at that point, pull the trigger. But um, I, in general, you know, I, I, I think um, the it, the guys they have right now are fine. And um, it usually takes a while for even highly drafted prospects to, like, catch on. Like college kickers, it takes a while for college kickers to become reliable NFL kickers. I just yep. think they take a little bit of seasoning and it takes a few off seasons of training and stuff. Like 20 year olds don't come out of college ready to kick like Justin Tucker. That takes a long time to learn how to do that. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm in general, I, I specialists, I don't think are worth draft picks, um, unless they're special cases, but, um, with Matt Areza, I think, you know, he's got raw potential, but I don't see him as like necessarily a day one starter at punter. Yeah. So, uh, Totally agreed. Rule number one, don't draft specialists. Uh, Justin Tucker was undrafted. That's all the reason you need to not draft specialists. The Vikings drafted Blair Walsh this year. Like, seriously, so many of the good guys in the NFL are undrafted. I, I just don't think it's worth the value there. Uh, with Matt Areza specifically, as you talked about, he doesn't have a lot of control. Now, uh, oh, also, I think it's kind of funny. I saw a tweet today from, I don't know if it was like a, a PFF guy or a draft network guy. They both have mock draft simulators who said, I've never seen like 32 fan bases want specific guys. Like everybody wants Matt Areza in their mock drafts, which is funny. And, and he's like, he's an awesome personality. And I think he's an awesome, like meme punter. Like I loved him at San Diego state. I don't think he's a fit in the NFL because he has a different punting philosophy than what NFL teams have. He's on record about, he doesn't care about control. He doesn't care about the things that NFL teams care about. His goal is to kick the ball as far as possible because he doesn't think that uh, teams are going to be prepared for that and willing to return it. And to his credit, he's correct. Right. But I think it's kind of like the guy who like always onside kicks or never punts in, you know, the, the high school coach who I think is at a college now who always onside kicks and never punts where that's a radical philosophy that like NFL teams in their conservative nature of football are not going to go for. So I, I don't even know if he's going to get drafted, honestly. Like I think fans given his like stature and how awesome some of his massive punts were are kind of massively overrating him. Uh, at least from an NFL perspective, maybe he's in the NFL. Somebody's willing to buy into that philosophy, kind of like the Ravens were willing to buy into Lamar Jackson, and he turns out to be awesome. But I, I'm not going to bet on it, and I'm certainly not going to bet on it from the Vikings, right? <laughs> um, so let's jump now uh, to to some more general draft questions. Uh, so the first one is from Brandon Fisher at Skull Squatch. Uh, who is your number one pick, purely based on vibes? <laughs> uh number one pick in the draft um you know this guy's been knocked for his vibes but i i gel with the vibes of Kayvon thibodeau i think the the confidence the being like yeah i'm you know I, i'm gonna be the best in the nfl i vibe with that and you know he's clearly it, it matches the tape it matches the measurables so i don't understand the whole him falling right. because he's cocky like no like i want give me give me a cocky guy with all the traits and all the tape to to, to match so yeah. Um, yeah, I I think he has, is number one in terms of talent, uh, or at least he's up there, uh, and the vibes match him. So yeah, I vibe with that. Uh, yeah. So my answer is Matareza 
because he's the punk god. So don't draft him, but you know, take him number one overall based on vibes. Uh, my second non-specialist answer to this is Traylon Burks, who, man, you watch Traylon Burks against Alabama, and it's amazing. He's amazing uh, on the field. His athletic testing, not great, but he loves hunting hogs. He's a country boy uh, who likes to eat, too. So uh, hopefully that doesn't hurt him in the NFL. Uh, and then honorable mention to the entire 2021 Georgia defense. Uh, those guys are like killers. Yeah. Insanely, insanely talented team there. Uh, crazy. So Seth at big head Kirk eight asks if the Vikings go corner around one, what do you think they'll do in day two? Any positions and names that you're keeping an eye on in day two? Yeah, for me, I think the most obvious one is either, uh, well, really someone on the defensive line, either a three, five technique guy um, or a, or like a nine tech, you know, outside linebacker type, but um, a pass rusher or, an you know, an interior defensive lineman of some sorts. And I think there's there's a good glut of guys there from, you know, from the from the five tech or the three technique um, spot where right now it's kind of unclear who would be that that five tech in, you know, the three, four base downs, which Maybe they wouldn't necessarily end up playing a lot of snaps there, but you know, right now I think it's James Lynch who would probably slot in as the starter there, so they need somebody. Um, you've got Logan Hall, who's a little bit more of an edge than he is, um, you know, like an interior defensive end, but he's you know like two eighty, I think, so he could probably um, slot in there. And then Perry and Winfrey and Demarvin Demarvin Leal, uh, those guys are all kind of in that in that range. And then uh, among more edge rusher guys, um, that's where you get to. Um, you know, Boye Mafe and uh, some of those other guys. And it will, it kind of depends on who falls there. Um, uh, who's the David Ajabo as well, if he falls, depending on how that Achilles, how teams evaluate that. So I think that's kind of where the, I, I just think it's a very deep class for um, edge talent in particular, but also I think there's a, there's a good glut of um, guys who can either play three technique four four I or five tech the kind of guy who will probably get a good amount of, of snaps, um, whether it's um, spelling for um, you know their current defensive tackles or whether it's um, getting that slotting in as that five technique or slotting in as an edge defender as well. So um, that's kind of where I see the value and the need matching most often. But you know they could go wide receiver, they could double up at, at cornerback. There's a, a lot of good safeties actually as well. Now that I think yes. about it. Um, so I, I feel like they, I don't think they're going to be necessarily locked into a position, but I feel like the one that would surprise me least is, um, edge defender or defend interior defender, defensive lineman. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have, if, if I'm making the day two picks, I, and I'm get a corner in round one, I'd still go edge corner in rounds two and three, um, off, you know, on the wish list. Um, I think a guy who might fall out of the first round just based on discussions, we were talking about how we listened to Dane and Lance um, and other ones is George Karloftis because as more freaky athletes get knocked up the board, I think he's somebody who's been falling down boards. And I think maybe the the draft Twitter community is higher on him than the NFL teams actually are just, just from like a little bit of my own reading the tea leaves, right? So he'd be an interesting one to me. I think he profiles pretty well as a base end kind of maybe not a five technique. I, I think the guys you mentioned, Liao, Hall, all of that, Perry on Winfrey are, are great fits there. Um, we kind of talked about corners, but I also said safety is a big one for me. Like I would rather go corner in the first round and like Lewis Seen or Jalen Petrie, if they're there in the second round, than maybe Kyle Hamilton over Stingley or sauce 
and hope for a corner in the second round. Now, if you can tell me I get Andrew Booth in the second round, that's a, that's a different story. But, um, you, you know, I, I think I, I would say that seeing and Petrie and Hill, Daxon Hill, who's probably a first round pick, honestly, are closer to Kyle Hamilton just because of the, uh, I don't know. There's, I kind of have been falling into this line of thinking where having an elite, elite safety does not give you the level of separation that maybe having an elite, elite corner does, right? Or maybe having an elite player and another player. So if you have a very good player, and I think there are a lot of very good safeties in the NFL, it there there's less of a separation from having like the top tier guy. Um, I also put, you know, maybe interior offensive line in round three, um, in particular, like I probably wouldn't want to go around two, but there were some guys, Luke Gedeke, who was a tackle in college, Ed Ingram, Dylan Parham actually played right guard his entire college career. That's something I was looking out for because, you know, we talk about guys moving positions, like it's the easiest thing in the world, but it's really actually not. And then the, a couple center projects, uh, Cam Jurgens and Cole Strange would probably have to be taken in that range if we wanted them. Um, and I, I said, if we're going to draft a, a linebacker, it has to be an athlete. Like, I don't want us. And, and fortunately, there are a ton of good athlete linebackers in that second and third round, but I don't really want a non athletic linebacker in that range. Uh, so let's jump on to the next question here. Uh, and it's from Skull Light at Skull Light. Uh, how? Oh, actually, I apologize. Uh, the next one I wanted to do is JV at JV swaps. Which group do you like better? The projected day two wide receivers or corners? I, I kind of like, I think I like the wide receivers better. Um, it's a little tricky though, because I feel like the corners drop off faster. So um, I, I think there are more wide receivers generally, um, you know, in, in that range there are more draftable wide receivers that are going to go on day two than, than cornerbacks. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, I, I like McCurry a little bit better than I thought. I think there's some other um, traits upside guys uh, in the second round, but the wide receivers you'll get are guys who can step in and contribute as wide receiver two or wide receiver three or guys with upside to be a one, wide receiver one down the road. So I like the wide receivers, I think, a little bit more, but uh, it's kind of interesting based on um, I also like the day three wide receivers more than the day three cornerbacks. And I probably like that. The, the Delta there is probably bigger than on day two. So yeah, uh, uh, that kind of also spells, you know, who you want to prioritize at which stages. So uh, in, interesting question, but I'd probably still lean wide receivers over corners there. Yeah. The wide receivers are in infinitely deeper than corners. There are only a couple corners that I kind of like in that second, third round range. And we kind of talked about them, right? Um, there's a really limited number of guys in that area, but like you said, if you're looking at your second round pick, maybe you want to go to a corner just because of the scarcity. So I, I think that's a good point. Um, so jumping on to the next question, uh, Skull Light at Skull Light. How do you value safety, corner, linebacker, and defensive end in the draft this year? Rank them in order of importance for the team. I would say defensive end first, um, just because they don't blitz and they ask a lot of those defensive ends. Um, I would say cornerback second. Um, it's a little, some schemes you can probably argue cornerbacks over defensive ends here. I think the cornerbacks, um, they aren't asked quite as much as they are in other schemes, having two high safeties, at least from the, the from the start, doing so much of the quarters coverage with Donatel's scheme, um, helps, but it's still, you ask a lot of them and they need to be good. Um, and then I would probably say 
defensive tackle, it's not on the list, but I would say defensive tackle just because you have to have guys who can kind of do the gap and a half stuff. If you're going to live out of too high, that kind of unlocks the scheme. You could probably argue defensive tackle even higher. By defensive tackle, I mean interior defensive linemen. So that would also include four eyes. That would include three, you know, if it's three techs or one techs on, um, you know, pass rushing downs or whatever. Um, after that, I would probably say safety just because, um, that's kind of the position that makes the scheme go is having the two high safeties who can also fit the run from, from coming downhill, um, but can also do a lot of things in coverage and disguise really well. They have to be smart, have to communicate well. Then I would say linebacker is easily, um, the least, the least important just because they don't get asked to do a lot of crazy, the off ball linebackers, the inside linebackers don't get asked to do, um, a lot compared to some other teams, you know, they're not buzzing to the flat. Um, well, I, sometimes they are, um, but you know, they're not asked to, um, rush the passer and be edge rushers. They're not asked to cover tight ends and man coverage downfield a lot. So uh, I think linebacker is probably the least important in terms of what they get asked to do um, and how important they are to making things work. Yeah. So I actually interpreted this question a little bit differently than you did um, because I was looking at as specifically draft needs. Um, but I think we'll answer from both directions then. Uh, so so I, I agree with you just in terms of the general importance to the defense for the Vikings right now. I would have, you know, in the draft, corner is obviously number one. We've talked about that a ton. Um, I would still put edge rusher second uh, because we have Hunter. We have Zadari Smith. We have injury questions about them. We need a bait. We've talked about potentially getting a base end. We need somebody with that. But even still, for me, the value in edge rusher is it's a lot harder to find edge rushers late in the draft. And it's a lot harder to find corners late in the draft than it is early in the draft. You look at the guys that start in the NFL, the vast majority of them are first and second rounders for both corner and edge. So I think that, and and, you know, at the defensive end position, right? Um, So I think that really warrants consideration when you're looking at drafting guys. Uh, Safety was third to me. I, I agree with you on the importance where it's below corner and below, uh, Edge, I think maybe you could have an argument with defensive tackle, but I, I think you could probably put it below it. Um, but we do need safety help. I'm not a hundred percent confident in Cam Bynum starting this year, right? I really like the flashes that we saw, but there's still a he's still an open question mark. So I'd like to add a safety through the draft to at least give competition there. And then linebacker, I think we're fine with Jordan Hicks and Eric Hendricks. I don't love our depth, but I think we can muddle through it. And like we were talking about, it's not that important of a position there. Um, and also I think there are a couple guys at safety linebacker on the open market who played with the Broncos last year. Uh, Kareem Jackson still on the open market. I don't know if he wants to play. He's like 35, but I think he could fill in fine as a safety. I thought he played fine last year and linebacker. I think like, I, I think Alexander Johnson went back, but Kenny young who played a bunch of snaps for them at linebacker last year is still on the free agency market. Um, so we'll jump to the next question here. And uh, that's from Chris Schoenwill, uh, realistically, how many day one starters or at least competition slash rotational piece guys do you feel we need from the draft and what positions would you rank in terms of importance? Um, so we kind of rank the positions in terms of importance, at least on the defensive side right there. Uh, and he says he feels like he, we would need one to two corners, an IOL, a linebacker, and another plus would be edge wide receiver. So Nick, go ahead. Uh, how many starters do you, and contributors do you think we need? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, like, need for what? Like, um, 
you know, this is like a probably like a nine win team, nine and eight team yeah. right now. Based on, but if uh, to contend, they need rookies aren't going to get them there because rookies aren't good players. You rookies are usually top out as average at their position and cut just now. Just if we had started. three first round picks, like maybe that's a different discussion, right? But we don't. Yeah. So, but I would say in terms of below average starters right now, I would say on the offensive line, center and right guard. Sorry, Bradbury. Um, and I would say. Uh, that's probably it. Everybody else, I think, is at least average. Um, and then on the defensive side of the ball, I would say um, Jordan Hicks is probably below average. Cam Bynum, below average. Jan Sullivan, below average. Um, defensive line is fine, assuming they stay healthy. Um, so, yeah, what is that, five? Um, where Five where, where like, decently a rookie has, has a chance to, I think, win a, win a starting job. So... Um, yeah, you know, I, I kind of agree. They need interior offensive line. They need cornerbacks. Cornerback is is mostly also not just this year, but also what what comes after Patrick Peterson and what happens when Cam Dancer can't survive at you know 170 pounds for 70 games. So um, yeah, I and Jordan Hicks and Eric Kendricks both old. So some succession planning, um, and that's also true of the edge defenders position. Basically, the whole defense is old or bad. So uh, you yeah. you can list every position there as 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 something we need in terms of importance. You know, we kind of covered it, but. Yeah, cornerback first. I would say edge rusher pretty soon after that, um, and ideally you f- you find an interior offensive lineman. I'm not um, too worried about the wide receiver depth. Obviously, it's a position of value now that you're seeing guys get paid. You know, like Tyreek Hill topped out at 30 million. Some of that's funny money, but even at 25 million, that's a lot of money. So I, I see the value. I wouldn't hate wide receivers, but also I think wide receiver is the one position where you can always find gems later on in the draft. So I don't, I'm not married to necessarily investing heavily in wide receiver the way that I am at edge rusher or cornerback where um, you need, you need unicorns to succeed at the position in the NFL and those unicorns go early. So um, yeah, different ways to look at it, but I'd, I'd say probably three ish is probably right. Yeah, no. Um, so I, like you said, I think it kind of depends on how you approach this question. Like what do the Vikings need to become a Super Bowl caliber team? A lot. Right. What do the Vikings need to to be a competitive football team? I think the the thing I landed on is we only really need one true starter, and that's a corner. Right. In my opinion, um, I think you need to find a guy who's capable of starting and getting in the mix there. I also added I'd like to see another contributor at corner and also another contributor at the edge five tech position, right? Because I don't love our depth behind our top two guys. You need a guy who can be a rotational pass rusher. And with the age and injury concerns, I want to see a guy who can contribute more at those positions. Um, and then I said, you probably want a contributor at safety. I'm not. sold that we need it, but I think I kind of agree with you where it's more on we need a contributor at safety than we don't need a contributor at safety, right? Just as insurance for Cam Bynum. Uh, Linebacker, I think it would be a a plus for the team. And same with interior offensive line and wide receiver. I think we can muddle through with the interior offensive line that we have, especially with signing Jesse Davis and uh, Chris Reed, the guard from the Colts. Uh, so I, I think we have a, a startable group of players there. Like like you said, I don't love the quality maybe of some of them, but I think they're startable and we can muddle through and be a competent team with those guys in place. Um, so yeah, there you have it. Um, so let's jump to the next question. And this is one of my favorite questions uh, that came through, honestly. Uh, Dinesh Kalyana Sundar. Uh, at Dinster seventy seven, who are some of the project? Who are some of the prospects you like in the later rounds? Any Daniel Hunters and Stefan Diggs lurking that you can see? And then also Ed Donatello uh, asks, any other day three 
wide receivers as wide receiver one potential. Obviously he was shelling uh, Kevin Austin Jr. earlier. So, you know, day three prospects with focus on wide receivers. Nick, who you got? Yeah, it's interesting. I think before we dive into prospects, and it's interesting to talk about why Daniil Hunter fell and why Stefan Diggs fell. Because if you're looking for those for that, that you know, that luck to strike again, I think it's interesting to to learn from why they kind of got hidden. Um, Daniil Hunter um, tested through the roof um, and had all the traits in the world, but uh, virtually zero pass rush production in college. You know, at, at LSU, he had one and a half sacks in his final year. Um, was very very raw coming out as a pass rusher. So. Uh, I think the NFL now has kind of learned on, you know, caught on a little bit to bet on traits when, especially when it comes to edge rushers, you know, guys with 35 inch arms who, uh, you know, run a four five forty or whatever, or, you know, jump through the roof, uh, 11 foot broad jump or whatever, those guys, they're going to find a way to make that work in the NFL because um, you can, you can coach them up. And, and in some ways, you know, athleticism wins, especially on the defensive line. So um you have to you look you look for guys, and it, he was also a little hidden because LSU at the time was running more of a run first thing, where Hunter was like a four eye, where he was um, you know reading run or something. He wasn't you know like uh, getting to just you know chase after the quarterback every time. And college is so much more run heavy too that that also fits into you know why was why why wasn't his sack production well uh, didn't look good. So that's kind of I think where where Hunter. Um, where where we learned that Hunter probably should have gone earlier, but those are kind of the reasons, you know, he, he just didn't produce as a pass rusher. So felt like he was very, very raw. And it's a little hard to gamble on somebody, on somebody's upside when they have so little pressure. But like I said, NFL's caught on to them. I mean, we're seeing Trayvon Walker mocked now commonly as the first overall pick, despite also um, testing through the roof, but having very little pass rush production in college. So um, interesting. I think Two guys that I'll throw out, and there are a lot of obviously athletic upside guys, but two guys that I think are particularly interesting um, and following a similar kind of mold is one guy who's not even an edge defender um, in, in college, but that's Brandon Smith from Penn State. Um, he's an off-ball linebacker, but he just outrageous testing. Um, he, he did, it didn't really work out for him at linebacker at Penn State, but man, he's just another one of those Penn State freaks. 35-inch arms. Uh, 250 pounds. He ran a 4.5240 at a 10 foot 8 inch vert, uh, broad jump. Four second short shuttle, sub seven second three cones. So just like man, like insane traits, but also like would need to kind of learn a new position. You know, granted he did rush the passer a little bit, man. Um, but you know, so you stole my thunder on this one. I'm just gonna say, <laughs> compare Brandon Smith's testing numbers to Micah Parsons' testing numbers. Like he might have been a bet. He ran a slower forty, but he might have been a better athlete than Micah Parsons was coming out last year. Yeah. So you know, um, you still have to ask questions like, why didn't he catch on as a linebacker, and why didn't things work? Like, and he was not a good linebacker at Penn State. So, like, yeah, he has traits, but like Daniel Hunter, at least at LSU, was like a good run defender, and like, yeah, he didn't have pass rush production, but he did his job and did it well. Brandon Smith didn't really do his job that well, and that's concerning, especially when. Um, you know, we're talking about Penn State, not like Bama or something. So um, it's a little, it's a little worrying. But it, that, that this, that's the kind of guy you want to bet on, especially on day three. Like I would, would I spend a fifth rounder on him. Yeah, definitely, easily. Um, would not worry about it. the other guy who I think um, I, I found intriguing was Amari Barno, who um, you know he doesn't have the same sort of length and size that Brandon Smith has, or some of these other guys have. So you know, it's not. Well, he does have 34-inch arms, which is, that's plenty long. It's not like unicorn long, but that's plenty long. Uh, he ran a 4-3-4-40, which is um, pretty pretty insane. And that explosion, I think, shows up. Um, he's more like a developmental guy on day three, probably early day three. 
Um, he has he can also bend. That's another thing that I, I don't think combine testing really tells you if a guy can you know run the arc around um, and get to the quarterback. And I think that's actually really important for edge rushers because um, if a lot of guys have burst and can burst up field but can't really um, bend and get to the quarterback. And it, it doesn't matter you know if you're a, lined up at seven or wide nine, it doesn't matter how far up field you can get or how fast you can get far up field if you can actually turn to the quarterback and get after him. So. Um, he, Amari Barno can, can bend, um, kind of like Daniil Hunter. He, he didn't really have the sack production, but he did like Daniil Hunter produce the tackles for loss. So, um, you see some, you know, he's not a Daniil Hunter level athlete. You know, the, there are only so many unicorns, but, um, for him, for Barno, I, 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 you see uh, some of the same things, um, where, um, I, I think there's potential there to have him develop into, um, a, a quality edge rusher. And if you want to bet on the traits, that's one of the guys that I would bet on earlier on in the draft so sorry for stealing your thunder matt with brandon smith but i guess great minds think alike there no no absolutely i'm i'm happy you came out with him when you when you came out right away i was like oh i bet he's talking about brandon smith and it, it is interesting how he's not talked about in this draft cycle at all obviously i think the tape has something to do with it but an athlete of that caliber is going to get taken in the draft and and you want to find out something to do with him uh, one player I did find that I will add is Dominique Robinson, and I guess Dane Brugler has him as a third-round grade. I didn't realize that. I had not seen the name before. He tested as a great athlete as well. The downside with him is he is an older prospect. He is almost 24 years old. Um, He's 23.82 years old in Dane Brugler's draft guide. But he has tackle for loss production. He was a rotational player at Miami of Ohio. So, again, a, a raw kind of guy, right? Um, the one downside I will say with Amari Barno is he's like 227 or something like that. Like he is not big or 230. Maybe he's not a big guy. So that's definitely concerning moving to the NFL game. Although it may play better in Ed Donatel's scheme than it would have in Mike Zimmer's scheme. Um, and if we want to go with guys, you know, outside of that position, um, I think, uh, one guy I saw, Matt Waletsko, he's a left tackle or he's a tackle from NDSU. He had great athletic testing. Uh, he's super long. He's got that super long size. Uh, Thomas Booker, a defensive tackle from Stanford, great athlete. He's described as rocked up like a, a very, very solid, very great looking player just in terms of his body uh, as a, ball, a twitched up ball of muscle. There it is. And then uh, one other player I had who I think might be a steal in later rounds kind of because of his story um, is Jack Jones. So he was a five-star recruit, went to USC, got in trouble at USC. I think got arrested for uh, – he got he got arrested. Uh, he fell out of favor there. He went to Arizona State. Now, he is also small. He's like 177 pounds. So he's maybe a later round nickel guy. But he's a great player. He's got good short area quickness. And he's that former five-star. Like, he's a good athlete. Um, so I, I think maybe he has potential in the later rounds. Those are just some gut names in the later rounds that I was able to pick out looking through guys. Uh, the other thing I'll say on Brandon Smith is he is one of the youngest players in this draft class as well. Uh, I went through and compiled kind of the ages in Dane Brugler's draft guide. And this is like 300 something players of, you know, basically he has like 50 running backs on the list, right. Or 50 corners on the list. So it's most, almost all of the guys who are going to be drafted. And Brandon Smith is the 12th youngest. Uh, now I mentioned Cordell Flott's the second youngest. Uh, Derek Stingley, you know, is, is under 20. There are only 10 guys who are under 21, I should say rather. So, you know, 
Um, and then why don't we flip on to wide receivers? Uh, and I'll start off with my wide receivers. Uh, Kevin Austin Jr. I didn't love that much, but I do have four guys here. Uh, the first one is Khalil Shakir from Boise State. I think if there's a Stefan, I think if there's a Stefan Diggs in this draft class, it's Khalil Shakir. Like he's got that profile of a very good route runner, a gritty player after the catch. Um, the comparisons I, I, people have are to Deontay Johnson, who I think is a pretty similar player to, to Stefan Diggs. Now he has hand issues kind of like Deontay Johnson too. He, he has some drops there in the tape. Um, un, two other guys who are interesting. Uh, Eric Uzukenma from Texas tech is a tall, long player. He's a ball winner. He's got some route running prowess. Um, he's like six, three, 200 pounds. So he's got good size for the position. He's kind of interesting to me. Uh, Mikai Polk from Mississippi state, super young. Uh, he's like the fifth youngest player in the draft and, you know, he played in an, in an air raid offense, so he's not technically refined, but I think he's got the fluidity and the potential to become that. And then a wild card who's going to go later in the draft is Justin Ross as well. Um, Ross, obviously from Clemson had a breakout freshman year, dealt with a ton of injuries, has terrible athletic testing after coming back from a foot injury, I believe. So I guess the hope with Ross is that he's a technically refined player and wasn't fully back from injury with his athletic testing. You know, if, if he was back from injury with his athletic testing, he'd probably be talked about as like George Pickens in this draft class, who's going to be like a fringe first round player, but he wasn't. And that's a massive question mark. And the injury history is a massive question mark because I believe he had a neck injury as well. So it's not like it was a run in the mill, like ACL or something where you expect guys to get back to full strength. Uh, So any other wide receivers for you, Nick? Yeah, I think the lesson from Stefan Diggs was, um, you know, Diggs was, was a five-star recruit who kind of stayed local uh, and Mm -hmm. wanted to be, you know, with family. So, um, and he got hidden by being in that local program with the Terps um, because they had terrible QB play the whole time he was there. So he didn't really get to showcase what made him so special. Obviously, you watch him now and it, and his tape pops. And it's kind of funny, you know, like we remember Diggs showed up and was immediately really good. Like um, Mike Wallace Compton to Antonio Brown in like minicamp, rookie minicamp. So um, but it just it did. You, you didn't get to see that at Maryland. So. Um, you know, in terms of, and the other thing is he had kind of, he got injured a lot, but it was like freak things that obviously haven't bugged him that, you know, he had like a lacerated kidney and he broke his leg. Obviously, you know, hasn't lacerated any more kidneys or broken his leg or anything. Those are kind of just freak injuries that you don't worry about, but it, it gives, it gives less tape for, for guys to evaluate. So, um, guys, guys who granted, there are a lot of different ways to be good at, at wide receiver in the NFL. You got, you got the Mike Williams, you got the Cole Beasley's, you got the, um, Keenan Allen's and you got the, 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 um, you know, pick your like downfield speedster, whoever. So a lot of different ways to, to, to be successful in the NFL doesn't necessarily take a Stefan Diggs with the, the hip sync and the fluidity and the, the route running or the, mm-hmm. the, the pot- athletic potential to further route running. But, um, I do think those are the kinds of guys who, f- who fall like Antonio Brown, I think is very similar. I'm not, yep. Uh, Diggs didn't test exceptionally well. Antonio Brown didn't test well. They both fell to day three, uh, and they're both um, incredible route runners. So guys who, like, fit that profile to me, you know, Shakir was one of who stood out. Another guy was Bo Melton, um, who was kind of athletically, he ran a sub four four forty, but kind of otherwise athletically, he's kind of just a guy. Um, Diggs was the same way where his, his 40 was good, but otherwise, like, you know, it's funny for as good of a route runner he is, his, like, three cone, his agility scores weren't great, his jumps weren't great. 
Um, he kind of got labeled as a little bit of a slot only due to his, his undersized um, and not being great against press, which he, he later learned to do. But Bo Melton, I think a four-star recruit who stayed home at Rutgers where like, you know, that his, his talent wasn't going to get shown there. Um, but he throttles down really well. He's got a really good use of how he uses head fakes and body fake, fakes in his route. I think there's some potential there to, to make him a little bit better um, as a receiver. And he's got a little bit of that wiggle to him. So um, different kind of, not, not the exact same type of receiver as Diggs is, but some of the similarities there. Um, and then as like a late round sleeper, I think Charleston Rambo stand, stands out to me as somebody who's, you know, he's a four-star recruit, um, didn't get going at Oklahoma and transferred to Miami, but um, showcased a lot of good things there. He's not, doesn't have like NFL, super amazing NFL caliber um, testing. I think he's got limited top speed. Um, but the one thing he does really well, and this is something he shares with Diggs, is he stops on a dime. And that's something that, like, that makes Diggs, one of the things that I think makes Diggs so good and so good at the break and make, capable of creating such great separation at the break point is he can really threaten vertically and then just, like, stop. And his body's able to just, like, transfer. Um, his, his hips are able to just sort of, like, deceive guys and point one way and then go the other way at the same pace. So Rambo's got a little bit of that going for him. Um, he'll, he'll just completely stop on a dime on a comeback and send cornerbacks flying. So... Um, as somebody is like a like a sixth or seventh rounder, I think he's a pretty intriguing guy. But I mean, there are a lot of these guys out there. I could throw out a, lot, a bunch of but Jalen Naylor is another another guy I looked at who kind of looked interesting. So um, there are a lot of good wide receivers, and I think there you, you've got a lot of potential. I think to find gems, I think in the later rounds because um, you know it, it takes all different kinds of guys, and there are guys who can get hidden because they're in a run heavy program or they're in a small school program or um, they are, their route tree they weren't able to showcase that what they're capable of um, because they were limited by their offense. So uh, it's an interesting question. I think there are a lot of guys who um, would you know really interesting to dive into them and see who can maybe be more than more in the NFL than they were in college. Yeah, and I just want to emphasize one thing on the wide receivers. Um, you know, you don't need to be an elite athletic tester to be on that high end in the NFL. Uh, Stefan Diggs, as you mentioned, was not great at athletic testing. I look at RAS, which is a score from zero to 10, uh, basically how good of an athlete you are based on uh, historical data. And, you know, guys like DeAndre Hopkins has a five RAS, Devonta Adams, middling RAS, Keenan Allen, middling RAS. Like all of these guys, Stefan Diggs, we're not great athletes coming out of school. I don't think you need that. I think it's about the technical refinement as, as you were talking about with Charleston Rambo, like people talk about a lot. The ability to stop is more important than the ability to be fast. The ability to stop fast is maybe the most important ability you can have as a wide receiver. So I, I think that's good to emphasize that we don't now athletic freaks are still athletic freaks, right? On the Kevin Austin side, like you have a ball of clay that you can develop, uh, uh, Cooper Cup middling RAS as well, right? He had a great three cone, but middling at, at RAS. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, you don't need an athletic freak to develop into a really, really, really good NFL wide receiver, I think is the takeaway there. Um, so let's go to the last draft related question that we have. And this is from Matt Thawne. Um, who's your favorite potential fit for a five tech on the DL? Uh, he's looking at Perion Winfrey, uh, Hall, Logan Hall, DeMarvin Leal, Matthew Butler from Tennessee, and Zach Carter. Um, I will say, you know, if it's going second round, I I Hall has gotten steam as like a first round player because he's very athletic. I like Perion Winfrey a lot. I think he's got that uh he's got the motor to him above those other guys. Um, for Butler and Carter, looking at their profiles, I mean, I, I don't know too much around, about them. Unfortunately, I didn't get around to watching them 
all that much, but they are day three kind of guys there where you're filling them in as rotational players rather than somebody you'd want as day two and a guy who maybe you're expecting to start right away. Right. Um, Leal, I think I'd be fine with him. I think his fall is due to the fact that he is a tweener, right? So I, I think he fits as a five tech position and his athletic, his athletic testing like isn't great for what he is. But I think, you know, based on his tape, a guy who was, who people were calling a first round lock for like the majority of the season and most of preseason, a second round pick isn't that bad for him. Although I'd prefer both Hall and Winfrey over him, honestly. Yeah, I think those are probably the targets in the second round. I think a little later on in the third round, one guy that really intrigues me is Josh Pascal. I think Brugler and both described him as like a budget George Karloftis. Mm -hmm. Um, So you you kind of very similar athletic testing, very similar measurable size. Um, You know, he's, 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 you know, about 270. So big enough to, I think, line up five tech can kick him inside if you need to. Um, A little short, um, not super long arms, but great burst, great get off. Um, his jump scores were through the roof. Uh, his 10 yard split was through the roof. So, you know, he can, and that pops up on film. Like, he, you know, he can get upfield really, really fast. He's not bendy. He's tight. You know, he's not going to ride the arc very well. Um, that's not really his game, but that's kind of the same thing as Karloff. These are power rushers um, that are going to do better running through you than around you. Um, and that's okay because there are different ways to be able to win. And if you, if you have those heavy hands and Pascal does like he, I saw a rep of him just like <laughs> um, pancaking a center. So uh, he's got some really, really good um, power in his hands. Um, and that's kind of, I think particularly the prototype you want as like a five tech is somebody who has that power is to be able to hold up against the run. Um, he's a little bit more raw, obviously, than Carl Loftus, who's you know a first rounder. Um, but he he was good against the run. It was good penetrating. Uh, he got 15.5 tackles for loss last year, which was second in the SEC. So um, he needs some training to be able to like stack um, and be able to like hold the point of attack. You know, he's he's a little bit too aggressive, shooting gaps rather than like controlling them. And it's the controlling that really matters for Donatel's scheme rather than the shooting them. Um, but you you like the measurables and you like the potential there, so I, I really like Pascal as, as a as a you know late day day three or or late day two early day three option. Um, later on, I think Gophers fans are familiar with Asazi Otomeo, um, who um, you know probably got a little underrated because of a mafia opposite him, but he's um, he's another guy who I think. Um, needs to be developed a lot, but you look at the measurables, and man, he checks a lot of those boxes. You know, he's got 35-inch arms almost. He's got um, 280 pounds on him, and he's got good explosion. I, I don't think he actually tested at the combine, but um, he's still kind of learning how to put it to use, but there are flashes on tape where you see, like, this guy can bulldoze guys. This guy can run through guys, um, and the explosiveness shows, um, you know, he can. he's got, like, an arm over move. He can counter inside. He's not going to, like... Um, you know, he's another one of those guys who's, who's he's not going to be able to bend and, you know, he's not Von Miller bending around the arc, but, um, he's got some tools that like for a guy who is projected to fall until much later in the draft, I think there are tools there where you can see him turning eventually into like a, a, a solid rotational five technique, um, with potential to be perhaps even more just given, you know, there aren't that many guys with 35 inch arms who can carry 280 pounds of muscle and, and put them to use with that kind of explosiveness. So, um, those are two guys who I think really stand out to me. But there are a lot of these guys, you know, whether the, they're the, the heavier, bigger edge defenders or the the, the, the lighter uh, interior defensive linemen. So I, I think there's a, a number of guys throughout the draft. But the, I think the ones we mentioned are probably the ones um, that uh, would maybe make the most sense for the bike, especially second round, I think, is maybe where they think about targeting them. So, 
Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you there. I think second round guys, we, we kind of covered and I just want to second John Pascal from Kentucky in that third round range. I, I think he's a good player and I think he'd be a fit for us. Um, so let's keep it rolling here. We're going to get into the non-draft questions now. I know you guys have been waiting for a very long time if you ask your question in this range. Uh, so hopefully we'll get to them and we'll answer them appropriately. Uh, so the first one is from Drew Christians, and he asks, what's the difference between a correctly sized nose tackle like Pierce compared to Harrison Phillips slash Austin Johnson for scheme and game plan purposes? Uh, first of all, I want to say like correctly sized NT is a weird one for me. Pierce is like very big for he's a large nose tackle, right? And maybe that's the traditional uh, three four two gapping nose tackle. And I, I think that's kind of the answer to that question. Where Pierce, you can do some things in terms of the traditional three four two gapping, and you feel comfortable for that. I think for the Donatello scheme, there's not really that much of a difference. Like you just said, talking about the three techniques, it's about controlling the gaps. And I think Harrison Phillips can do that very well at a high level. So I'm not really concerned with his ability to do that compared to a Michael Pierce. Um, I think Pierce as a player gave you a little bit more upside than Harrison Phillips with what we saw a little bit from his past rush game last year. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I think for this scheme, I don't think there's too significant of a difference. Would you disagree, Nick? Oh, I think that's right. I think, you know, comping it to current draft players, I, I, I kind of think of Michael Pierce a little bit in the more of the, the, the Jordan Davis mold of just like a huge, strong, you need multiple guys to block him, is capable of handling multiple gaps and just will destroy things because there aren't, you know, it, it's a unicorn kind of player who can do what, you know, like Vince Wilfork did, you know, be 350 pounds, carry it very well and be able to, to use that to just be a relentless attack dog. Um, compared to like the Devonte Wyatt at, at Georgia, who's um, you know more of like he's forty pounds less than that, but you know is still able to be a nose guard because he's three hundred plus pounds. But you're just getting a very different kind of player with that. Um, one is a lot more able to um, rush the passer, but they're also not going to be able to handle double teams all day easily and, and just shrug them off because um, you know they have another fifty pounds on them. So. Um, it's, you know, it's kind of the, the, the true two gapping zero technique versus the more modern one, one, one gapping one technique. Um, but, uh, obviously with the way Donatel plays it like Michael Pierce would not be two gapping. So, um, it kind of functionally, they wind up being similar players, I think just because of what they wind up being asked to do. So, yeah. So, uh, no, I agree there. Like, like we said, functionally, not so much of a difference for this defense. So hopefully it doesn't really, the loss doesn't really impact us. Um, so next question is from Seth at big head Kirk. Uh, and you know, we actually already did cover this. Um, he wants us to give an overview, (laughs) an overview of what we can expect from the Donatel scheme in terms of once emphasized. Uh, I'm just going to answer it really quickly. Last year, the Broncos played a lot more cover one than the Vikings have. Uh, we probably don't expect them to play that that much because of the cornerback room. Obviously, there are pretty major differences. There are differences between the the front. We cover that in very big detail in the podcast we did a few weeks ago on the Donatel scheme. That's one of my favorite podcasts that we've done so far. That might be the my favorite of what we've done. I'm pretty proud of the work we put together there. Uh, another thing on the coverage end is we'll run a lot more cover six coverages and maybe cover four coverages and like no cover two, whereas Zimmer was running a lot of cover two. So that's just the very, very basic overview. Um, and then gap and a half in the front in terms of run defense, I guess we'll, we'll throw that in as we play gap and a half in the front under the Donatel scheme. 
Uh, anything else yeah. quick there, Nick? And up front, the, the the pass rushers are a little lighter and line up a little wider. You see a lot more wide nines than you did with Zimmer. I mean, Zimmer did that too. Um, in terms of like the, the base downs, you are seeing a traditional 3-4 front, you know, with, with the four eyes. Um, you know, see, so put those four eyes to use where, you know, they're they're not pass rushers. They're there to control the gaps and control the run a little bit more. Um, they do, Donatel does sprinkle in, you know, flip out that four eye with a five technique, which is, um, despite being, you know, half a half a gap away or half a technique away is, is meaningful because one's more of a pass rusher. So a uh, five technique is technically an edge rusher, even though when, when you're in the when you have a five technique out there, he's he's buttressed by a nine, a wide nine as well in the front. But uh, Zimmer was already sprinkling in on front stuff last year. So that much is not actually that, that big of a change necessarily. So. Um, but yeah, if you're interested in that, definitely, um, our Donatella podcast is not down stale at all. So go back and check that if you, if you haven't already, cause that's a really good overview. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next question is from Maurice Morth, uh, from at young meet them ball. Uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly in German, <laughs> but to what extent can good coaching hide the lack of skill and talent on an NFL roster? Um, as bets used to say, talent is greater than scheme. <laughs> Uh, so, so just yeah. to, just to clarify into that a little bit, I think talent is always going to overrule scheme. Now, obviously there are a couple caveats to that. You need to build your scheme to your talent. If your scheme does not match your talent, your talent's not going to look very good. And that's a problem. So you need to build your scheme to your talent, or you need to acquire talent that fits your scheme. I'd prefer to build the scheme to the talent, right? Because that's how you're going to get the best talent. Um, obviously talent quote unquote can mean a couple different things like athletically gifted guys are not necessarily talented. Like there are mental aspects and that sort of thing too. But you know, generally the best players are going to play better than players who are worse than them. So you want to acquire as much talent as possible. Having scheme is more effective in specific situations like Mike Zimmer, fantastic third down schemer in defense, right? Sean McVay, fantastic schemer on offense, but he has also got a lot of talent there. So scheme can certainly elevate talent, but it can't uh, make talent not matter. Yeah, I think it's it's especially true at the lower ranks where like more talented team is going to win every high school game. The more Mm -hmm. talented team is going to win in college ball, like, you know, some random FCS school is not beating Bama just because, you know, one has, you know, five stars throughout the roster and the other one <laughs> has walk-ons. So um, it's, it's um, there's, there's a flatter um, distribution of talent in the NFL just because of the draft, the way it's set up, um, the salary cap. There are, there are things in place to make sure that um, most teams are generally, um, uh, it, it's less true these days with Falcons kind of, I won't call them tanking, but the way the Falcons, the Texans, the Lions, the Bears, their rosters look right now, it, they seem to be making the affirmative choice to not, you know, try and win as many games as they can in 2021. So, uh, but at the same time, like there are there are NFL caliber athletes ever on every roster. So, um, yeah, talent makes a di- big difference, but that's also a reason why there are a lot more one score games in the NFL compared to college, just because there's a flatter distribution of talent. That said, talent is always going to be most important. If you have Aaron Donald on your team, it doesn't really matter if you line him up at three technique or one technique or five technique. You know, he's Aaron Donald. He's going to do crazy things. Um, you can be stupid with things, and there are, you can elevate guys like Kyle Shanahan makes Jimmy Garoppolo look up probably a, a little bit better than he would um, in other offenses. And I, I think it's especially true of passing offenses where scheme can unlock a lot of things. You can schema 
if you're smart, you can scheme around mediocre, mediocre pass protection. Um, you can't really scheme around like bottom of the barrel, 32nd ranked Vikings offensive line. So that's something Vikings fans are probably intimately familiar with is that line between you can scheme around how bad we are versus uh, you can't, you can't scheme your way out of, out of the, the 2018 off Vikings offensive line. So um, it's uh, it, it helps, but um, talent is most important, and luck I think is even more important than scheme. And scheme matters and makes a big difference, especially in certain aspects. But um, it's I think fans probably overestimate just how good scheming and coaching and all that stuff um, can can influence things. I will say one way scheme scouting or coaching does really help is player development is part of it is that's coaching yes. and also um, opponent scouting is part of it too and knowing your opponent's tendencies and knowing what techniques they use and how to sort of counter those um that can make your talent look more talented than they than they are or they would be with other coaches so that that helps too so it's a complicated question because in some ways they bleed into each other but i, I still think talent is always going to be the most important thing yep yep we are on the same page there so getting on to the next one um and i'm going to butcher this name but Ilverin Kurunathir, uh, or, you know, something close to that, at Eridar. Um, And I'm not totally sure I understand this question, but it is to partially avoid inflation. Why not replace guaranteed salary with a roster bonus early, earlier in the league year? So I'll try to tackle this. I, I, I hope I'm getting this correctly, but I, I think maybe there's a misunderstanding of inflation here because actually to inflation would help you just in terms of the economic terms. If you're paying people later in the year the same amount of money, that money is worth worth less after inflation, right? So, but it may be a salary cap inflation question where we're extending things out over the years. Or if you're talking about payments, there's also kind of an interesting thing in contracts where with signing bonuses, that money doesn't necessarily get paid all at once. It actually has a payment schedule to it. So it'll get paid out at certain times during the year. Now, maybe that does get paid out all at once, but it is guaranteed. So the player is going to get all of that money. Um, so I kind of attack that from a couple of different angles. But if, if you have further clarifications, maybe we can answer it in the tweet to that question. Um so I, I just want to jump on to the next one. Uh, Skull to the bull at Bo Brendan says he feels like there's still money left to be spent uh, in free agency. Can you see the Vikings making one sp- final splash after the draft? Uh, like depending on if Hamilton falls, should we go after veteran safety? Uh, he can't imagine we'd go into the year with Bynum and Harry, and he could also see Barr. Uh, Maurice Morth also asked about re-signing Anthony Barr. So why don't we go with signing bar first and then any other veterans that you like out on the market? Yeah, it's, I, I wonder if Barr's career is actually over just based on all the injuries he's dealt with. It seems like his, his knee might be arthritic or whatever. So, um, so um, I'm, I, cause he's obviously a good NFL caliber. I'm a four time pro bowler at linebacker and a very special body type. You know, we talk all this, spent all this time talking about in the draft about guys, you know, these six, five guys who run four fours, um, they don't grow on trees, but with Barr, I, I think this just might be an injury question mark. That said, yeah, totally bring him back. Like I would, it would be awesome to see him either as an off-ball linebacker or as a four-three or a three-four outside linebacker in this system. Um, I, I, I obviously would would greatly bolster. Um, you'd probably start over Jordan Hicks. So yeah, if he's available and the, the money's reasonable, absolutely bring him back. It's just a question of like. Um, is he out there because he wants more money than he's getting, or is he out there because teams are worried about the injury history, or um, have to find out exactly why um, he's still out there? So, um, but yeah, I mean, if the money works, totally bring him back. Yeah, 
totally read on bar. Um, I want to bring them back if the money works. Uh, it, it sounded like in one of Quasi's press conferences that the money didn't make a whole lot of sense to them. So maybe he is wanting more money than we really have to pay uh, because he was asked about potentially bringing Barr back. And he basically made something like after the, the dead cap hit, like the money is hard to work out there. Um, so that I'm not expecting to happen. Uh, I did mention earlier in the podcast, there are a bunch of veteran safeties still on the market. Um, some names I have Kareem Jackson, DeMonte KZ, Jaquaski Tart, Ronnie Harrison, Tayshawn Gibson. I think all of those guys can start at safety in the NFL. Um, so those are some veteran names on the market. I also mentioned there are a ton of Broncos defenders currently on the market. Players from the Broncos, uh, Kyle Fuller and Bryce Callahan are still out there at corner. Um, and Stephen Weatherly's out there at Ed Rusher. You know, we could bring him back for a third time here, back to the Vikings. Uh, but there, there were seriously like 15 Broncos still on the market of their free agents from last year. So I could see us looking at one of those guys with the familiarity. Um, do we want to go to the meme questions, Nick? I'll leave it up to you. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you're going to touch yeah, Sure. Let's hit them. You know, the, 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 give the people what they All want. All right. We will give the people what they want. Forrester nine, three, two asks Lola bunny or Judy hops. Yeah. I saw a great meme the other day that was like, um, it was like, people's taste in bunnies over generations it was like boomers like like the playboy bunnies and gen x like jessica rabbit and millennials like lola bunny and gen x or gen z now likes uh judy hop so it's like over time it's like an anamorph that we've now like uh now are actually attracted to actual you know bunnies but um you know comparing the two um you know, Lola Bunny is obviously the OG. Um, yeah, I'm going there. She's obviously the OG. You know, she's obviously an iconic character. But, you know, Judy Hopps is just has... She's she's the new girl in town, but she's just so expressive. And she's got a lot more... I mean, Lola Bunny, I think, is not like... The, you, don't, you don't walk out of Space Jam being like, wow, Lola Bunny is like the coolest character on the planet. I do think you walk out of Zootopia saying, like, Judy Hopps is like a funny character with a lot of heart. I, I sympathize with her in a lot of ways. She's got, you know, that was a great coming-of-age story of, of Judy Hopps coming up in the big city. So, um, you know, I'm going to have to go with a new girl with Judy Hopps. I don't know if you have any thoughts to add uh, to that. So I've never seen Zootopia, so I actually had to had to Google Fire. Judy Hopps <laughs> to, to check it out, which means I have to answer Lola Bunny as the OG, as a millennial, right? Um, I will say I think that Roger Rabbit had the correct idea. So Roger Rabbit's the real winner <laughs> in all of this. Uh, uh, no, so the next one, Luke Braun at Luke Braun NFL asks, and I think it's particularly relevant for how we're recording this podcast tonight. Um, by percentage, how unclothed is Nick when he watches a when he watches cornerback tape? Uh, for reference, Nick and I are both on the East Coast. It hit eighty degrees here on the East Coast. It's been the hottest day of the year so far, and I think we're both sweating a little bit. If you're watching the video. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Nice to have the, the the April weather arrive. You know, it it gets. I get more unclothed as the tape grind continues and as we get into it. And you know, if it's a particularly spicy cornerback, you know, there might there may be those percentages may tick down a little bit. So or tick up, I guess. If the question is how unclothed I get, so so yeah, it depends. You know, I probably start out fully clothed most of the time, but you know, as time goes on and the clock strikes past midnight, maybe you know, I I, I strip down a little bit to the pajamas. So yeah, I. I I never, I never encountered a prospect that made me go, you know, any bit farther than that. But you know, it could happen. We'll see. 
yeah, and and for myself for Luke personally, and, Luke and Forrester appreciate us answering these. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sitting in a chair like if I weren't wearing a shirt, this chair would be a little sticky, and I would not like that. So I'm wearing a shirt when I'm sitting in this chair with grinding tape. Uh, you're not you're not seeing a lack of clothes from me over here. Uh, so with that. The fantastic end to the podcast. I think we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, Nick, any final thoughts? No, I'm excited to get to the draft. So uh, I will I will end on a football note. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I'm Matt Freese. You can find me at Fry's Football on Twitter. He is Nick Olson. You can find him at Nick Olson NFL. Um, our other co-host, Greg Blake, is at You've Been Gregged. Uh, we are Kindred Skulls at Kindred Skulls on Twitter. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Also find us on YouTube by searching for Kindred Skulls and watch our beautiful faces. Uh, so hope you guys enjoyed the mailbag. Fully clothed, fully clothed faces. Fully clothed faces. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Skull Vikings, everybody. Five-star reviews. Uh, it makes us happy. And, um, you know, DM us if you have any follow-up questions on Twitter or on YouTube. We'll we'll try and answer back. Um, and if we don't see you until next week, we got one more pre-draft episode, um, which we'll get into. But uh, until then, goodbye. We love you. Skull. Skull. Another first-round corner wouldn't do us any harm. Oh, another first-round corner wouldn't do us any harm. Oh, another first-round corner wouldn't do us any harm. And we'll all cheer on behind. And we'll score the old.